good to see you all here tonight. We will eventually be in Ephesians chapter 6. But before we get to Ephesians, I want to address a reoccurring question that's been coming up since our county has gone to substantial community spread because apparently there is some confusion regarding what I tried to communicate over the news blog post. The question is this, can I come to church right now? The answer is yes. If you want to come to church, come to church. Nobody is going to turn you away at the door. There's no bouncer standing outside waiting to toss you out. He's not a bouncer. All right, Brandon's at the door in case some nut tries to do us harm. But um, we could utilize him that way if we needed to. So don't make us go there. Amen. But nobody's going to be turned away. Now, let me address this more deeply. Here's what I wrote in my last post on Friday evening. Once a community reaches this classification level, speaking of substantial community spread, the CDC recommendation is to cancel community and faith-based gatherings of any size. Therefore, I'm promoting live stream only services. I am asking you to take the CDC recommendations seriously. With that being said, I will not forbid any from the assembling of ourselves together. No one will be turned away. This church has always operated with the understanding that its members are more than capable of making the decision that's best for them and their families. Now, I'm asking you to take the CDC guidelines seriously because there are many who are at a higher risk of suffering severe complications or even death if they were to con contract COVID-19. That's why I'm promoting live stream services because I want to try and do my best to let you know that I am taking this seriously. And if you don't need to be here right now, then that's okay. No one will think less of you for it. Amen. We are not in a competition right now to try and prove our spirituality. <laughs> Undoubtedly, the critics will ask, then why are you still conducting services when you know there's a risk? And I have no problem with the question. It's fair. I want to take a moment to explain my reasoning for where I am and how I arrived to where I'm at and why. First of all, there are always risks. We welcome anybody to come into our church service. We don't know what contagious diseases they may have when they come in. There are more airborne contagious diseases than just COVID-19. As of today, over 45,000 people in America have died from COVID-19, and we know that number will continue to rise. But did you know the CDC is already estimating that from October 1st 
to April 4th of this year, there have been anywhere between 24,000 and 62,000 deaths from the flu in the United States. I'm not comparing the two. There's no question that COVID-19 is not the flu and that it's worse. The death rate with COVID-19 is greater than the flu. But honestly, it's unknown what it is. The World Health Organization in the beginning of March reported that the death rate from the coronavirus was at 3.4%, while the flu is only about 0.1%. Dr. Anthony Fossey, the director of the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, said in early March that, quote, if you just do the math, the math is about 2%, end quote, when speaking about the death rate. The medical journal, The Lancet Infectious Diseases, published in late March that according to their research, COVID-19, when undetected infections are not taken into account, so these are the ones we know, then the coronavirus death rate was 1.38%. And when they took undetected cases into consideration, the death rate drops to 0.66% for COVID-19. And I got that from CNN News, so don't think that it was some propaganda person trying to downplay the seriousness of COVID-19. But the truth is, no one knows what the death rate is. Because it's been commonly reported that approximately 80% of people can be infected and not know it, or have only very mild symptoms to the point that they don't really get checked out. So we don't know how many actually get infected. So my first reason is, there's always a risk. I mean, I mean, look, there's a risk in anything you do. Not if I just sit there. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> <All right. laughs> my second reason. There are only two known active cases in Pennington County, and no active cases in the counties that touch our county. If we were in Minnehaha County right now, I am sure we would be doing things much differently than we are right now. And I want you to know that. In addition, it is unclear when a county is going to be downgraded once they have entered a higher level of community spread. For example, a county may be bumped up to substantial community spread, everybody heals, no active cases, and yet they're remaining in substantial community spread. Lawrence County had nine active cases. All nine have recovered. There are no new cases being reported, and yet they remain in the substantial category of community spread. Likewise, you look at a county like ours in Pennington County where there are only two active cases and at no point has that I can remember, and I've been checking every day, do I remember there ever being five or more active cases in our county and that's the requirement to be upgraded to substantial. I have honestly no reason why we went to substantial, but we did. 
now that we've gone to substantial with only two active cases, when are we going to be downgraded? Well, this perked my interest enough that I don't know how many of you got the robocall from Senator Rounds, and I decided to sit in during the teleconference, and I hit star three because I wanted to ask the question, how are downgrades going to be handled? Well, they never got to my question. But I left a message saying this is my question. I got a phone call back today from his office, and the lady said, that's really a question for the governor. <laughs> But she did say that in one of the press conferences that Governor Nome was conducting, the question did come up that I was asking, and she stated that the governor has said there is no plan at this point to downgrade a county once they are upgraded uh, to a higher elevation of community spread. So I don't see why we should be recommended to indefinitely take the actions that are equivalent to substantial community spread when there is no clear level of substantial community spread in Pennington County right now. Does that make sense? My third reason, the CDC recommendations are just that. They're recommendations. Our president has consistently said you need to follow the guidance of your local leaders. Well, I've contacted the mayor's office and I've asked the question how this affects churches and the answer is we are not regulating anything regarding churches. Thank God. So we are not in violation of any law or any ordinance by continuing to gather. I have stated in the past that my intent has been that we will follow the CDC guidelines. However, throughout this process and me saying that, I have discovered that the CDC guidelines have been fluid. They have changed during this pandemic. Since they reserve the right to change their mind, I reserve the right to change mine. To be fair, with the amount of cases, active cases, and I'm sure there's more, but the ones that we know about, the amount of active cases we have in our county, I have taken the proper measures recommended already. I have made a concerted effort to be as accommodating as I can be. I've canceled our choir, Sunday school hour, discipleship class, bus ministry, our 8.30 Sunday morning service, and we, really meaning Tiffany, <laughs> clean the church and disinfect things after every service. In addition, how can I, in good conscience, close the doors of our church when certain businesses in town are allowing in far more people than we will ever see in a week? And in some cases, these businesses are allowing more in a one-hour period than we will see throughout an entire week. Critics will say, but those stores are essential. And to that, I would ask with all seriousness, and the church of the living God is not essential? I will readily admit that it's clear our leaders want us to limit the size of our gatherings. Ours have been limited ever since this started by virtue of less people showing up. We haven't had to tell anybody, which tends to tell me people are more than able to govern themselves. 
but churches have not specifically been addressed. And we are smaller in size than the stores I'm referring to. If we were a much larger church, then I may think differently. But we're not. And I hope you understand that I cannot justify telling anybody to stay home when the stores are allowing in far more people. Why should we be treated inferior to the hunting stores that are allowing in 100 people at a time? Amen. What is so essential that I've got to get a camouflage vest? And if that's essential, then it's essential for God's people to gather around His Word. Now, I'm trying not to get fired up. But I'm close. Because the same hunting stores are still advertising their promotional sales. We're not giving away free food. Me personally, as the pastor of this flock, and I, and I emphasize this flock because I do not judge any other pastor for how they're handling things. If they want to close, close. If they want to be open, be open. I'll back them 100%. In fact, when Custer County, their city council announced that they were going to mandate, and I think they did, in fact, that the churches within the city limits be closed, I called up Matt Furs and said, I will be up there and I will stand with you to fight that. And he said, well, thank God we're not within the city limits. <laughs> Fourth, I think all in our church will agree that we have a biblical mandate to assemble when we are able. And you would have to agree with me that we have a constitutional right to assemble. I want to honor God and government the best I know how through this. That is my heart. You can ask my wife. I have wrestled with these decisions. I do not take them lightly. It is always at the forefront of my mind. I understand what it would look like should the worst happen. I understand all that. And, and it's agonizing. I, I go to God in prayer and I ask for wisdom. I believe with all my heart that I am honoring God by keeping our doors open. And I believe that I am honoring our government by not breaking any laws and telling you all to take the CDC guidelines seriously. I've not recommended that anybody show up. In fact, if you ask enough people in our church, you will discover that I have told plenty of people, maybe you just need to stay home right now. But guess who comes walking in? Whoever wants to. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to say names or ages. <laughs> I have recommended to many, just stay home. That's the God honest truth. I want to be clear that I'm all for having a good testimony in our community. I don't want to rock the boat in any way. I'm not looking to be this obstinate guy who can be on TV. I don't want any negative press. I'm just trying to do the right thing for Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. And, and I'm trying to do that the best I can without being viewed as some kind of instigator. 
But who am I to tell the blood-bought bride of Christ that you cannot come to the house of God when we're able? Do you understand the position I'm in? I did not shed my blood for this church. But God did. And His Word says, when you're able, keep the doors open. Therefore, when it is in my power to have the doors of our church open, then they will be open. I have simply placed the decision upon you to decide whether or not you want to attend. And by the way, that's how it is all the time anyhow. I have never successfully forced anybody to church. If I could, we would be packed. If you feel you need to attend, then attend. And again, I will not turn anybody away who feels they need to be here right now. Nor do I blame anybody who chooses to stay home. And I'm being as clear as I know how to be. I hope I'm communicating this effectively that you know it's okay with me if you show up. It's okay with me if you stay home. I'll conclude this segment by letting you know where I stand should we ever be told we cannot assemble as a church body. Because listen, the day has already come in certain places in America where churches are being told they cannot have services. If that were to happen in Rapid City, then at that point, I believe our constitutional rights are being infringed upon. And I will, without apology, definitely resist such an order. Not by saying everybody show up. I might be the only one here. But so long as I'm able, I'm going to have the doors open. I will always stand for our constitutional right to assemble. I spent 21 years of my life raising my right hand, swearing that I would support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that isn't going to stop now. And nor am I just going to sit down and watch our liberties be flown out of the uh, window that I've spent 21 years of my life trying to protect. As a member, you need to know this is where I stand because the day's coming as we've already seen in America. And just to be clear, as long as I'm able, the doors of the church will remain open because of a biblical mandate and a constitutional right. So back to the question, can I come to church if I want to? Yes. You can come to church if you want to. Not turning anybody away. We are here live streaming anyway. The door, I mean, we're here. It, to me, it wouldn't make no sense to say, sorry, you can't enter. We're live streaming right now. So it's up to you. If you want to watch online or you want to see me in person, then it's really up to you. I, I do not blame you either way. I love you all the same no matter what decision you make. Amen. If you were to die as a result of the virus... 
and they wanted to say you contracted it at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, then I will just simply let people know you died doing what you love to do. I understand some feel we are already being stupid about this. But I genuinely believe we are doing the best we can with the situation we are in. And again, I want to be clear, I am recommending you take the CDC recommendations seriously. Should circumstances change in our county and we end up like many haha, we're 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 not going to be dumb. We're going to take the appropriate actions. But I just cannot see why with only two active cases we need to close the doors. Let me just say this. Thank God, South Dakota, nor Rapid City, have violated our constitutional rights to assemble. Amen. And for that, I am extremely thankful. All right. Thank you so much for allowing me to get that off my chest. With that out of the way, with the remaining time we have left, if you'll go to Ephesians chapter 6. Last week we had Pastor Leidig with us. I've always been blessed by his preaching, and so given an opportunity to have him stand in our pulpit, that's a no-brainer. There's a couple people that have an open invitation. That's one of them. So I'm trying to get him here for anniversary days in 2022. And he said it would take a larger love offering, but um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) only teasing. He said uh, that would probably work. I got to send him the dates though. But anyway, we are going to return tonight to our regularly scheduled programming on Wednesday nights, Excavating Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, last time we covered employer-employee relationships. And remember, we must work for the glory of God so that His name and His doctrine are not blasphemed. Our work ethic and how we conduct ourselves on the job will determine the credibility of the message that we preach. It affects our influence of Christ towards others on the job. How you work, how you lead as a boss, will give an impression of Christ and it will give an impression of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. What are others saying about Christ and your church based upon what they see in you at work. Remember that your job is your mission field. The credibility of God's Word, His church, in the eyes of your lost co-workers will largely be based upon your conduct, your performance, and being above reproach. Now for tonight, we're not going to read all the verses that I had intended because we're only going to talk about Verse 10. Let's just read that for sake of time. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And after this, the Apostle Paul will discuss the armor of God. We've seen some great truths throughout this epistle. In chapter 1, we saw that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's a recurring theme throughout this epistle. In chapter 2, we saw that God has raised us up to sit together in heavenly places in 
Christ. In chapter 3, we saw that we Gentiles have been made partakers of the promises of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in Christ. And then in chapter 4, in the first half of chapter 5, we saw how we're to walk in this life as Christians. And then in the latter half of chapter 5 and the first half of chapter 6, we saw how to have godly relationships in this life. Husband-wife relationships. Parent-children relationships. Employer-employee relationships. And you can see a progression when you think about that. You can see a progression through this epistle. First, as a new Christian... You need to just sit and learn and understand who you are in Christ and what your standing is in Christ. Then, you need to learn to walk worthy of your calling, which includes both your personal life and those relationships that we've talked about. You go from being a learner and a disciple to where you begin to practice and live out what you have been taught. And now, after you have been discipled, and after you have matured in that training, then it's time to become a soldier for the Lord. We are always to be progressing in our Christian life. It never ends. Amen. We are always to be going forward. We are always to be progressing. We are to continue gaining in strength. Don't stay in the beginning stages of your Christian life your whole life. Don't stay there. Amen? It's called the milk of the Word. At some point, you're going to want a ribeye. Hey, man. You're going to want a steak. You're going to want some strong meat. Don't just stay as a little child. But you need to grow. You need to mature. Don't level off to where you've learned some doctrine, you've learned some principles, but you never really get in the fight. I often hear from our senior saints who get discouraged because their strength is leaving them and they feel like they don't have much to offer because the body is breaking down, physical strength is diminishing. But I want to tell you, seniors, you can still be on the battlefield for your Lord by crying out to God in prayer. Amen. It would be wonderful if our owls would just set aside time to get together when all of this is over and just pray. Can you imagine the effectiveness of that group? Hey, that's the group that's supposed to know how to get a hold of God. Amen. That's the group that ought to be able to tell the younger Christians, hey, this is how you pray. Amen. You can still be effective for God no matter your age and you can still be growing uh, in strength as you go. To our younger Christians, I want to encourage you, just soak in all you can. Be faithful to church services, Bible studies. Read and study your Bible. Just learn all that you can and serve where you can. And to those of us in the middle stages, I want to say, it's time to become a soldier for Jesus Christ. We need to get busy about the Lord's work like never before. We need to be on the battlefield and we need to be in the fight. Amen. Whether you realize it or not, there is a war taking place. We learn from our text that it's a spiritual war. We don't see the spiritual realm. 
We see it manifested in our physical life, but we don't see the actual demons. We don't see angels. But the Bible here, if we would have kept reading, will tell us we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Amen? We are wrestling against principalities. We are wrestling uh, against a spiritual uh, war. It's a spiritual warfare. We'll talk more about that in a future message. But because of this warfare that we're engaged in, verse 10, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, begins this portion of Scripture by writing, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We see that we are called to be strong. Before you get suited up for battle, God wants to make sure you are strong. But it's the next three words after that that are the key. Amen. Be strong in the Lord. When one enters the military, they are required to go through boot camp, which is just the beginning of all the training which is going to follow. Within about a two to three month period, the military wants to weed out those who won't have the strength to continue in their military service. There will still be some who will wash out down the line after basic training due to various reasons. But in those first few weeks, there's an effort to expose any lack of strength which will hinder their ability to be fit for warfare down the road. Now, obviously, that's an ongoing process throughout a career, but you understand what I mean. My oldest son, Luke, has developed an interest in studying special forces recently. He's been reading all kinds of books, and we decided to start watching together a documentary on the Navy SEALs. And so far, in the first three weeks that we've covered, well, actually, we've only covered two, but I know what the third week is. And, and in that first three-week period, in, in the course of training that they call BUDS, they're just weeding out those who don't want to be there. You familiar with this at all? They're, they're just weeding out those who are going to say, you know what, thanks for the opportunity, but this really isn't for me. <laughs> Amen. That'd be me. Amen. And then there's going to be those who maybe get hurt, but there are going to be those who just can't cut it. And they just don't have the ability, and they're going to have to go home. There are all kind of numbers out there, but the highest I read was only 25% make it through. But I think on the documentary it said 18%. I've seen as low as 11%. But the reason it's kind of confusing is because there's a lot more training after BUDS, and so I don't really know. But I said that to say this. We see this kind of thing frequently in churches. Though we don't track attrition rates, <laughs> we know just from looking around under normal circumstances, just from looking around, we can tell there are those who get in and there are those who get out, right? We can tell after a period of some years of being in, a, in one church, man, the congregation looks a little bit different. Some of that's simply because people move. Uh, it's been estimated every nine years you turn over your congregation, except for the core. So we see this kind of thing in, in churches. We see who, people who come in and then leave our ranks. Me personally, my observation is generally three years is a good standard of monitoring someone for those who say they've gotten in. Typically within that time, within those first three years, you'll learn who has the strength to stay and those who don't are going to drop out. Now, the time frames are different, I understand that, because it's really circumstances that bring out things, right? 
And typically within three years, you kind of have some experiences in your Christian life that make you realize where your strength's at and all this. Sometimes it may take longer. It's different for everybody. Depends on your trials. But that's a general rule of thumb that I've used over the years is I tend to say, okay, uh, we'll see if they're here in about three years from now. And how many can we just think of right now that are not here when I first became pastor? And so we see this happening all the time. And you don't really know much about yourself until you go through some afflictions. It's through afflictions that you learn, are you strong enough to continue or not? Right? Proverbs 24.10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Many people are on board when there are no pressures and when the heat's not being put on. But many will drop out once the going gets tough. This is because our weaknesses are exposed during times of trial. We learn where our strength really lies during those times. When the heat is turned up, when the pressure is on, we learn some things about ourselves. If I can put it in this way, some get in when the getting is good, but they don't endure until the end because they do not grow in God's strength. Someone has rightly said, you don't fake Christianity when persecution arises. These first century Christians had better know where they stood. Amen? Their lives were literally on the line in a lot of cases. And they had to know where they stood on this issue of Christ because they were under persecution. And what is revealed to us through our afflictions, through our trials, through our difficult times, is where our strength has been the whole time. You see, you can endure for a season in the strength of your flesh. And look, if you've been in church long enough, you know how to, you know how to do church. And you can, in, you can endure enough in your flesh to really give the impression that all is okay. But over time, give it enough time, give it enough trials, the weakness of your flesh will be exposed. This was my testimony in North Dakota. You will have to decide if you are going to drop out. You will learn that your fleshly strength will never do and that you must have the strength of the Lord. Or you're going to conclude this, I can't continue. I want you to know I'm preaching to myself. I can tell you that this lesson never ends. Are you with me? It never ends. We have to be constantly reminded where our strength needs to come from. Just last month, I shared previous to tonight that I wondered if I needed to quit. A particular trial had arisen causing me to question some things. My strength was gone. I told the deacons, if you feel like I need to step down, I'll step down. Because I never want to be guilty of dividing our church. I never want to be the cause of division. But I don't know if you caught what I said there. My strength was gone. My strength. In my strength, I will never last 
as the pastor of this church. And by the way, in your strength, you're never going to last as a faithful Christian. You won't stay in the fight. But at the same time, I want you to get this, please. If you don't get anything else tonight, get this. That's exactly where God wants us to be. He wants us in the place where there is no more of our strength. Amen. He wants us at the place where we understand that all of our strength has to come from Him. And to continue on in the fight, I had to rest in the fact that my strength must come from the Lord. Thanks to my wife. Thanks to some godly deacons and our godly church members. Strength in the Lord was revived and I was able to continue on. Our Lord said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. We're always being tested along the way. We're always getting a gut check to see where our strength lies. Is it in ourself or is it in the Lord? And this is why there needs to be a time of proving before somebody just jumps into the ministry. Before we suit them up and, and, and put them in the battle, put them into warfare, there has to be a time where we can wait and see where is their strength coming from. Because if it's not coming from the Lord, and just a little bit down the road, there's going to be a void. There's going to be a hole. There's going to be somebody else is going to have to step up, and you're going to end up in this constant cycle of people who aren't ready to be there. You understand what I'm saying? And so there has to be a time of proving. There has to be a time of seeing where your heart's at, seeing where your strength's at. You don't want to just throw somebody into a position of authority. The Bible says don't put a novice in charge. What we like to see are those who will say this, Here am I, Lord. Use me. What, what we like to see are those who will say this, Pastor, where can I serve? I don't care what it is. Looking for those who will say, I'll do whatever you want me to do. God, whatever you have for me, that's what I'll do. Those are the ones who will have a higher retention rate because as they are growing in these steps, as they are learning more about themselves, as they start service from down here and work their way up, then they begin to grow in the strength of the Lord. Amen. I just, I just didn't wake up one day and decide to be a pastor. Amen. But it started all the way back there at the age of 12, being born again, first of all. Being raised in church. That first time the pastor calls on you to pray as a 12-year-old, and you're like, ugh. But when your church is smaller than how many are here, there's not a whole lot of people to draw from. You understand what I'm saying? You, you build and you work up. 
And then maybe you hand out the bulletins, you hand out the prayer sheets, you open the door for people, you sweep the leaves, you shovel the snow, you, you cut the grass. Before I got here, that's what I did in our church in North Dakota and in Mississippi for that matter. Uh, I cut the grass and I weed-eated. Whatever the pastor wants us, pastor, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. You understand what I'm trying to tell you tonight? Where's your strength at? And if you'll just get busy and not just say, well, I want to be this. Well, hold on. Maybe you haven't been proven yet. Maybe there has to be a time of testing. Maybe we have to see where your heart's at. Maybe we have to know where your strength is. Sometimes people are thrust into positions of ministry. They're not ready because they've not yet learned that the Lord needs to be their strength. And as a result, they fail in the day of adversity. And then we have to learn as Joshua did and be told... Be strong and have a good courage. You see, Joshua had to come up under Moses' leadership. He had to learn. Where's your strength at tonight? If you're relying on your strength, you will fail. But if the Lord is your strength, then you are ready to go into battle. And we need all the enlistees we can get. Psalm 138.3 says, In the day when I cried... Thou answeredest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. God is the source of all of our strength. And we just need to cry out to Him for strength in the days ahead. I apologize for taking a little bit longer in my intro there. We'll end there for tonight. But is the Lord your strength? If not, you need to get that right. The arm of of the flesh will fail you. Let's pray.